people who are obsessed with seeing that you are given your rightful place, your exalted place among men and women around the world. We are a people who are distracted indeed. We are a people who find lesser loves. Oh, yes. We are a people who are satisfied with way too little. Yes, indeed. But, Father, underneath all that is this sense that, that there is no king but you, that whether we elect Bush or Gore, there is no king but you, whether this country goes Republican or Democrat, it's not, it's not the issue. Things certainly will be complicated by any government that we have, but it is you who are exalted on high, and we as your people would have it no other way. We understand, Father, that there will come a day where we as your people will do nothing <coughs> but praise you and glorify you in your exalted state. But now there's this veil, this veil of tears that separates us, this veil of sin. And Father, one day, one glorious day by and by, that will be gone. And so many of us who have undergone and perhaps are still undergoing pain, we pray, come soon. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Life is not that sweet that we would not long to hear trumpets from heaven announcing the coming of our great King and Savior. Our Father, I do pray for the people who gather here this morning who perhaps, who, whose, hang, whose hands tremble, whose hearts quiver. And I pray that you will give them a word of encouragement. I thank you for the, the, um, the souls lifting as we heard the doxology played a few moments ago. And how our hearts filled up when we sang, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Indeed, O oh God, even then we found ourselves being lifted to a new place, a place where we can pause and gather for worship. And Father, I, I pray that you will allow us to eliminate those those incidental distractions so that we can focus on you and what you hopefully will be saying through your word. And Father, we pray that you will hide that preacher. He is nothing more than a sinner like we are. But we do pray that, we will, that you will use him so that we can see you. Might these monies be used for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ and that only? Father, might your people understand that you have never been, nor will you ever be, any man's debtor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
only regret about that number is that it wasn't longer. Uh, take your Bibles and kind of drop them in your laps, and I'll tell you more about that in just a second. But there's two things that I did forget. You do know that the month of September, we're nominating elders. These forms are, can be found on the ledge of the sound booth. Don't forget that we have five openings, and we encourage you. By the way, you can nominate more than one. You can't nominate the same man twice, but you can nominate more than one person. And by the way, I have been asked this and asked this and asked this, so I think it's only comfortable to do so. The two men that are rotating off are David Harbour and Jerry Brasher. I also want to mention, men, that there is a, um, a men's retreat two weekends from this weekend uh, entitled Men at Work. By the way, these guys who have organized this retreat, they put together a list of questions. We're going to have a panel, and they're going to put together, they put together a list of questions that we're going to be addressing. It must be 50 questions. You ought to read that list of questions. I mean, things that you are wrestling with at work, and they know far better than I. Okay, let's begin with a quiz. Um, how many of you have ever heard of the story of Samson and Delilah? Oh, gosh, a lot of you. How many of you have ever heard of the story of Gideon's fleece? Oh, a lot of you. Now, tell me this. Here's the tough question. How many of you could tell me out of what book do those two stories come? Don't raise your hands. We wouldn't get as many. How many of you could tell me those two famous stories, where do they come from? What book of the Bible are they found? Are, are, do, do you find them? In what book of the Bible do you find them? I'm trying to make a point, ladies and gentlemen, and the point that I'm trying to make is this. I'm convinced that there has been a neglect of a part of the Word of God um, and that God's people have erred by neglecting a certain portion of His book. I'm suggesting that the content of this book is basically, with the exception of some very famous, a couple of famous stories, that the content of this book is virtually unknown. Those two stories, of course, are found in the book of Judges. And I would invite your attention to the book of Judges, because we are going to start today a study of the book of Judges. Now, I would love to know how many of you have ever sat through a series of sermons on the book of Judges. Don't, don't, don't please don't answer that. Um, but I know you've heard, I know you've had stories lifted out of the book of Judges and their wonderful Sunday school material, like Samson and Delilah and Gideon. But why is it that in the main, this book has been so neglected in, in our particular day. Uh, and, and neglected when it contains some of the most vivid, well 
well-documented stories that the Bible has to offer. Um, it has been the source, this book has, has been the source of Sunday school material for centuries. But not many of us, um, in, including those of us who have a lifelong relationship with the Church of Jesus Christ, not many of us have heard much about it since we left Sunday school. Um, and we, I'm afraid, conclude, or maybe we have concluded, that um, its content is suitable only for the simplest level of moral instruction. I want to read you just one verse, because, ladies and gentlemen, this may be the most, I hope it's the most boring sermon of the series, but you've got to introduce the book, you know? You've got to say some things about the book first before you dive in. So this may be uh, the most boring of the series. I, I, hope, it, I hope it's wonderful, but uh, it may, because this is some, nothing more than introduction, and I'm only going to read one verse. I'm going to read Judges 1.1. And then next week we'll come back and begin to dive into the book uh, more fully. But now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying... Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Now, we preachers, we, um, even those of us who, uh, whose habit it is to preach through books, for some reason or the other, have bypassed the book of Judges. In fact, I, I, I know this to be true, that the book of Judges, um, Esther, and the Song of Solomon share the dubious distinction of being the most neglected books in the entire Bible. Um, and apparently, we have d decided that they're less worthy of our attention than the rest of this book. Uh, even by those of us who say that we believe that all Scripture is profitable and is uh, useful to God for correction, instruction, and righteousness, etc., etc. We say we believe that, but there are some books that we tend to neglect, and this happens to be one of them. Now, there must be a reason, and I'm not sure I've got the right reason, but I want to suggest to you what I have for you today is is trying to explain to you why it is that we've neglected this book. And then I want to offer you three enticements, incentives to study this book. Because that's what we're going to do for the next several months. And I want you to know what you're in for. And hopefully uh, it will excite you about its upcoming study. But why is the book neglected? Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, let me suggest that this is a very hard book. Um, it, it's, it's a hard book not to understand so much. It's a hard book about hard times. Uh, it deals with sin more explicitly than we wished it would. And, and, and unlike pornography, which is the art of making sin look attractive, the book of Judges shows us sin in all of its ugliness and all of its repulsiveness. 
there there are tales in this book that are by no means designed to tickle your ears. The, the, the stories remind us how quickly, maybe this is one reason we neglect it, but these stories remind us of how quickly God's people are prone to backslide and, and how often we need God's merciful intervention on our behalf. It's, a, it's an uncomfortable book uh, about such things as unbelief, hypocrisy, um, all within. It's a book about unbelief and hypocrisy that takes place within covenant community. Maybe that's why we don't like it. Um, in addition to that, some Christians uh, have found the stories in the book of Judges to be a source of real embarrassment. Um, I understand. You know, uh, one of the heroes in this book is a guy by the name of Samson. And you know what he's known for, don't you? His interest in women. Um, there is much in this book to, to sadden the hearts of we who believe. And I guess there's no other book in the Bible who better witnesses and so clearly witnesses to our human frailty than does this one. But may I say in addition to that, there are unmistakable signs of divine compassion and long-suffering in this book like you'll rarely find in others. You find the forbearance of God and this wonderful emphasis upon the possibility of new beginnings, starting over because of His grace and His mercy, repeatedly demonstrated. And that's the stuff that I think ought to have drawn us to this book as opposed to repelling us from the book. Now, perhaps there's another reason. Perhaps it's because we watch Israel plunge into a moral and a spiritual and, and a, even a political disaster that is on, on a nationwide scale. I, I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that there are few periods in the history of Israel that are as eventful and as important as the events recorded for us in the book of Judges. It was during this period, this historical interlude in the life of Israel, it was during this time period that Israel took the wrong turn that eventually led to her downfall and destruction. Basically, ladies and gentlemen, in this book you get the period of Dark Ages. 
in the history of Israel. And not only that, we see in this period, in this transitional period, we see a decline in the standard of leadership. That's why I read you that first text, after the death of Joshua. Well, ladies and gentlemen, after Joshua's gone, there is no one remotely resembling a Joshua or a Moses or even a Phineas until Samuel comes along, and that's in the next book. But for your information, the last of the judges is a guy by the name of Samuel. But between the time Joshua dies and Samuel, you don't see anybody that is uh, any way remotely resembling a Joshua or a Moses or a Phineas. In summary, ladies and gentlemen, this is a book that is a testimony to man's frailty. It is a testimony, it is a grand illustration to the need that man has, not for a temporal deliverer, but for a Savior that is eternal. Now, um... Whatever it is that has caused the neglect of this book, my hope is that the people of God here at Gracie Van will, will prosper under its exposition, and that's why I, I'm doing it. And this morning, all I want to do now is entice you. I want to try to give you three enticements, reasons why I think this is going to be a very profitable study for us. Um, I, I think you'll find that our next few months, at least I hope you will find that they're full of instruction, full of stimulation, full of reminder, but a, um, a, a tremendously uplifting look at what has otherwise been a pretty neglected book. So here's my enticements. There are three, or are there four? <laughs> I'll let you keep up. Number one. I need you to know, first of all, that the term judges is a little bit misleading. If when I say the book of Judges, you think about some kind of courtroom scene, then I must tell you that that is terribly misleading. That's not what's going on here. If you'll flip over real quickly to the, to the second chapter of the book of Judges, I want to read you one verse which will give you an idea about what this book is about. Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Now, there you have, ladies and gentlemen, is a good definition of what a judge is. When we're talking about judges here, they are primarily deliverers call them saviors, they, with a small s. They are primarily, they're, they're not someone who sits over a courtroom setting, they're basically deliverers from Israel's dire straits. So during the period that God in His grace saw fit to provide for Israel one of these judges, Things in Israel really take a turn for the better. 
But when those judges are off the scene, when these saviors with a small s, when none of those existed, oh my, <laughs> how the nation of Israel suffered. In fact, if you can find this real fast, the last verse of the book of Judges, um, a key to understanding the message of Judges is the last sentence of the book. And you've heard it before. It says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And you know, folks, um, that one insight, that one truism is one of the reasons why this book is so terribly contemporary. Try to imagine, ladies and gentlemen, um, somebody went to see Alan Keyes last night and, and they were telling me, relating, you know who Alan Keyes is, he was uh, the African American was running for uh, president, I guess he still is, of course didn't have much of a chance as you know, but um, Alan Keyes was saying last night that um, I don't want to be president. I want God to be president. Well, try to imagine the difference. Try to imagine the difference in this country. If this nation had a king, but not just any king, but the right king. Try to imagine the difference it would make. Um, if Jesus were king of our land. I'll tell you this, try to imagine the difference that it would make if Jesus was king of Federal Express. Or your company. Or your office. Or your home. Or your life. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, when he is not the enthroned king, what do people do? Well, they do whatever is right in their own eyes. Because the only king that is known today is self. So, when there's no king in Israel, everybody does what's right in his own eyes. And the last thing that you want to do is be intolerant of the decisions that they've made. Oh, oh, no. I mean, we certainly don't want to, to say that anything is wrong and anything might be right. In fact, what we're looking for in our culture is abject egalitarianism. You know what that means? Everybody's equal. You want to believe in Jesus? Well, that's just fine. I'm happy for you. But he's no better than Buddha. Because everything is equal. Because you see, well, there's a king in Israel. The king is self. But when God in his rich kindness and mercy sent a deliverer, boy, things went great in Israel. But when he didn't, Oh, what problems Israel had. 
And when there's no king in good old America, oh, what problems good old America has. Because, as you know, there's no king in Israel. So everybody does what's right in his own eyes. There's one judge that it's going to, we're going to look at later on, and he seemed to understand that principle. His name is Gideon. If you can find chapter 8 real quick. Um, chapter 8.23, Gideon was the one with the fleece, and we're going to look at that with great, uh, I hope, pleasure and instructiveness. But um, Judges chapter 8, verse 23. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. Because he knows when people turn to any other <clears throat> king but the Lord, the fabric of the nation begins to unravel. So I say again, ladies and gentlemen, lessons like this makes the book of Judges a very contemporary book. And there are I dare say dozens of insights I hope that you'll see as we go along through the book of Judges. Here's my second enticement. What you're going to see in the book of Judges is a recurring cycle. You're going to see a That's what you're going to see, particularly after we get past chapter 3. But here's the cycle. Number one. Israel does evil. That's step one in the cycle. And then, in response to Israel doing evil, you get the second step in the cycle, which is the Lord hands over Israel into the hands of an oppressor. The Midianites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Termites, they, they, they just get turned over to any oppressor. There's all kinds of them. And then, the third step in the cycle is that Israel cries out to God for mercy. And then in response to that, the Lord sends a deliverer. Sin, servitude, supplication, salvation. That's the cycle that you're going to see again and again and again. Israel sins. God puts her into the hands of an oppressor. She cries out in mercy. God sends a judge to deliver them. You're going to see it again and again and again. Now, but again, ladies and gentlemen, does that cycle not often appear in our lives? Oh, life is good. Prosperity is, is, the, is the name of the game these days because life is good and there's a little extra money. We go out and buy ourselves a jet ski. And you know when you've got to use those jet skis, you can't do them, use them through Monday through Friday. You've got to go to some place and use that jet ski on the weekends, which means, of course, you know, that um, we're going to have to neglect our souls. But that's okay. We're only going to do it for the summer. And the family, you know, will, will certainly uh, prosper. 
uh, through our, our, our doing this. Oh, it'll be good family time. In fact, we might even open the Bible on Sunday morning and have a little devotional. Prosperity, which leads us to neglect our soul. And in the midst of that neglect of soul, golly gee, sin becomes thinkable. And not only is it thinkable, it then becomes doable. And then a hardness sets in. And spiritually, we're flat as a tire. Nothing there, no life, no usefulness, no going anywhere spiritually. But down. And then comes the consequences. Something we never give a moment's thought to. But oh, how it jars us to the base of our souls and how we regret our choices and abhor our pain and our circumstances. And then we begin to cry out to God, please deliver. And guess what? He does. In mercy, He restores. And here's the worst part. One would think that after such an experience of pain, we would never dream of repeating that kind of mistake again. But it's in this book that we discover we do. We repeat the same cycle that you're going to find in the book of Judges. And here's the best part. This book also gives testimony that the Lord gives ear to repeated cries of mercy from his people. It's a message, ladies and gentlemen, that is almost too good to be true, especially to any of us who have ever blown it. Here's my third enticement, and uh, we're wrapping this up. We still have communion, I'm sorry. but All of the misery of Israel has an origin. I want you to see it. It's in chapter 3, real quick. Chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Let me read you these, if I can see them. Judges 3, 5 and 6. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. Now, gang, uh, what you find here is a story of an incomplete conquest. The failure on the part of Israel to exterminate the inhabitants of the land that Israel was supposed to possess. And that was Israel's undoing. Now, Judges records for us this, the sad effect of mixed marriages. But very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not here to talk to you about mixed marriages right now. It's not so much mixed marriages that led to their downfall as it was that God's people allowed so much sin to live among them. And I'm here to tell you, my dear friend, that's going to lead to misery for any of us. I, I, I have yet to figure out why the Christian man can think that he can get away with internet porn. You're not going to get away with it, my dear brother. It is going to wreck something. I have yet to try to figure out why a Christian man, a Christian woman, thinks that she can get away with 
flirtations to members of the opposite sex who don't happen to be their spouse. You're not going to get away with it. When we allow that amount of sin to live close to us, it'll get us. Nobody sins with impunity, including the preacher. Then finally, there's one final enticement to this study, and I and, and um, I have to tell you that the thing that ultimately made me conclude that I wanted to preach through Judges was because what you find in the book of Judges, the theme, the theme of the book of Judges is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, ultimately, with his empowerment, we are, um, we can conquer anything. Without his empowerment, we're not up for any challenge. May I say this in closing? You're going to see that again and again and again. And when he takes charge, great things occur. But only when he takes charge. Gang, 24th of this month, we're going to be breaking a ground, breaking ground for a new sanctuary. And I don't know about the rest of you. But I'm scared to death. I'm excited. But I'm more scared than excited. Because if we try to pull off this ministry or that one in the flesh, we're going to end up in misery. Only if God the Holy Spirit dominates this staff, dominates the elders, and dominates you, will we ever have something worth having? Please, I beg you, pray for his filling. We'll look at the rest of the book next week. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I do thank you for your word that is so full of insights for us all, and I pray that, that these insights have been very useful to your people. And I pray that now as we gather around this table that you will remind us of the very centerpiece of our faith, that being the death and sufferings of Jesus Christ, that he alone is to be Lord. No one, nothing else but Jesus Christ crucified. We pray in his name. Amen.